Welcome to Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a radio ministry of the Institute for Creation Research. In this program, we want to encourage you in your Christian faith by showing how scientific evidence supports the Bible, particularly the Genesis account. The book of Genesis lays the foundation for all matters addressed in the rest of the Bible. The nature of God, His sovereignty in creation, man's purpose, sin, marriage, family, and why we need a Savior are all introduced and explained in Genesis. When we see that the first and most foundational book of the Bible can be trusted in all matters, including science, it builds confidence in the rest of the inspired Word all the way to Revelation. Joining us on today's show is Dr. Tim Clary, geologist and research associate with the Institute for Creation Research. Here's Dr. Clary. In a previous show, we talked about the mega sequences or the rack record across North America and how that is evidence of a global flood. In this show, we want to talk about another continent, Africa, how that shows the similar story, shows the sedimentary mega sequences across Africa as well, and shows that the flood was real. The flood is often questioned by secularists and by even a lot of Christians. They wonder, was the flood really global? Did it just affect the Black Sea area like you hear so much in the news? Uh, a lot of Christians struggle with this, trying to figure out what really happened. Can I really trust the Bible? If it was just local, then why did Noah have to build an ark? Why did the fossils show a particular order that we see? Can all this be explained by the flood? In Second Peter 3, it says, There should come the last day scoffers, who are willingly ignorant that the world that then was, being earth or the water, perished. So the Bible tells us there's going to be people denying that there was a flood, denying that there was a previous world before the flood, there was a royal flood of water that perished. God's word is true, and evolutionists deny that truth. They deny the book of Genesis, particularly the first 11 chapters. And a lot of Christians, unfortunately, have succumbed to that and kind of think the first 11 chapters aren't really true. But we'll see that the rocks do support exactly what the Bible says. One point I want to make today is the flood was global. We talked about that in North America, and now we're going to see in Africa a similar story. Secondly, I want to talk a little bit about how the flood was catastrophic. It wasn't just a tranquil flood either. We talked about the six mega sequences before, the Sauk, the Tippecanoe, the Kaskaskia, the Absarica, the Zuni, the Teas, all those sequences. But remember, all that happened in the year of the flood, like the Bible said. There's no evidence in between these rock layers of vast amounts of time. It's just like bricks on a wall. You put one layer on top of the next. That's how the rock layers were laid down in the year of the flood. So we can look at these mega sequences as these chapters of the flood, but they're not really chapters separated by any vast amounts of time. They're separated by maybe just moments in the flood, maybe minutes, maybe hours, maybe a couple of days. But we start with data-based science. We look at the actual rocks that are there and study those rocks preparing these columns, these stratigraphic columns, all over Africa, just like we did in North America. So we have almost 400 data points across Africa and the Middle East, and we tie that to a computer database, and we can actually look at the rocks that are actually there, what was laid down in the flood. And the Bible tells us in the 600th year of Noah's life, of course, all the fountains of the great deep broke open, the flood began, and rain was on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. And I think those were possibly the first three mega sequences, those first 40 days. The Sauk, the Tippecanoe, the Kaskaskia. And at this point, the crust started to move on the earth, and you started to put vast tsunami-like waves across the continents. We saw they covered North America bit by bit by bit until eventually it went over the top, and we see the same thing in Africa. We see the Sauk mega sequence actually covers mostly North Africa, what's underneath the Sahara today, flooded across North Africa and across the Middle East and across Saudi Arabia and Israel. 
You see the tippy canoe on top of that does the same sort of thing, follows that same pattern. It follows across North Africa and across the Middle East and the Saudi Arabian Peninsula. But most of Africa was high and dry. Same thing happened in the Kaskaskia. Most of Southern Africa is still high and dry, but you have flooding that affected and buried marine fossils across North Africa, what's underneath the Sahara today, and across the Middle East. And these are the same rocks where they're now finding oil deposits. Oil companies and countries are drilling and drilling and drilling and finding oil in these vast sedimentary reserves that were laid down in the early part of the flood across North Africa. Similar to what we saw in North America, we see only marine fossils. So if the flood was global, we would expect to see the same sorts of pattern. And in fact, that's what we do see. We see partial flooding of Africa, and we see only marine fossils being buried and fossilized, just like we saw in North America. And then the flood waters went higher, the Bible tells us in Genesis 7, 17 to 19. It talks about the waters increased, the waters prevailed, the waters increased greatly, the waters prevailed exceedingly, until the whole high hills were covered by day 150 of the flood. And that gets us into the Absarica sequence. And the Absarica was that transitional sequence that we saw in North America. We see it's a transitional sequence in Africa as well. Here we now start to flood high enough that we're affecting the land animals. We're starting to wash in land fossils into the sediments in the Absarica. We get these huge sand waves that came across, leaving these big sand wave deposits. Just like we talked about in North America, we see these big cross beds that are 20, 30 feet high. The secularists try to say these are all from sand dunes, windblown sand, but in fact, they're filled with marine minerals like dolomite that only occur in a marine realm or a marine environment. We also see the first appearance of coal in Africa, just like we saw in North America during the Absarica sequence. And the Absarica sequence starts to cover more of Africa. It covers not just the northernmost part of Africa, like the first three sequences, but we now see the southern part of Africa is being covered as well with the Karoo sand. And as those sand layers and sediments start to flood across Africa, we only see one area of Africa that's still high and dry. That's right in the center, right around where the equator is today. That appears to be the high ground in the pre-flood world in Africa. We're going to take a short break. Dr. Clary will have more on this important topic in a moment. What happened to the dinosaurs? Are monkeys and people the same? Why do we live on Earth and not some other planet? Kids have some great questions about God's creation, but do you have the answers for them? At the Institute for Creation Research, our scientists and Bible scholars have produced The Guide to Creation Basics. This book contains full-colored images and fascinating commentary from experts in biology, geology, astronomy, and biblical study. Guide to Creation Basics can help teach your children how the animals could fit on Noah's Ark, how dinosaurs and humans could live at the same time, and how God's power and wisdom can be seen in something as small as a single cell. Find basic answers to your child's biggest creation questions. Order your copy of Guide to Creation Basics from the Institute for Creation Research by calling 800-628-7640 or visiting www.icr.org. Welcome back to Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a radio ministry of the Institute for Creation Research. Here's Dr. Clary. In our last segment, we just wrapped up talking about the Absarica sequence across Africa. Now we're going to change and talk about the Zuni sequence, which piles the sediments on top of that. The Zuni appears to be, again, the high point of the flood, just like we saw in North America. We see the maximum coverage across the continent. That's why we believe that that's the high point of the flood. 
But the rocks actually show this. They show the sediments across Africa are most extensive, not only in North America, but Africa as well, on the Zuni sequence. So we see the most amount of flooding, just like the Bible tells us, and that seems to correlate with day 150. We also see the most amount of sediment deposited in Africa in the Zuni. We go from about 3 to 4 million cubic kilometers of sediment in the first three or four sequences, and all of a sudden in the Zuni, we jump way up to about 57 million cubic kilometers of sediment. So a tremendous increase in sediment. The maximum amount of sediment increase comes in the Zuni, which is exactly what you'd expect in a global flood that was going to flood the entire Earth. We also see in the Absarica and Zuni, as we saw in North America, we see land animals mixed with marine fossils. The land and marine mixing is evidence of a global flood. And this is often denied by the secularists. They deny that they have marine fossils mixed in with the dinosaurs. They deny that there's dinosaurs buried in marine sediments. But if you read through their papers, it's all in there. They just don't bring it up. But that's true evidence of a global flood mixing the land and marine environments. And that's exactly what we see in the Absarica and Zuni, just like the way the Bible describes the flood, a global flood. You'd expect to be mixing in marine animals with land animals. We have a similar interpretation for the pre-flood world that we saw in North America as well. It appears that where we find dinosaurs in Africa, in areas like Niger and Morocco and Egypt and in eastern Africa, those are the dinosaur lowland areas, just like the dinosaur peninsula idea in North America. We see these lowlands that came off the highest ground, the uplands, actually seem to be maybe 1,000 or maybe 2,000 feet above sea level, areas that were low enough, swampy enough for dinosaurs to live and thrive. The mammals and probably most of the humans lived at a little higher elevation. And that's exactly what we see in the fossils. We see the dinosaurs buried first, and then we see most of the mammals buried on top of that. So just like in North America, we also see the lowest sediments, the Sauk, Tipic, Inu, and Kaskaskia, contain mostly marine fossils. So the area underneath the Sahara, much of the Sahara, appears to be an area that was a shallow marine in the pre-flood world because we see mostly marine sediments in those first three sequences when the water was starting to flood across the continents, but it wasn't flooding the land areas yet. But then in the Absarica and the Zuni, it did. It reached over the top and flooded those environments. So we see kind of ecological niches. The Sauk, Tipikinu, Kaskaskia, again, just flooding shallow marine areas, possibly on the continents. And then you go to the Zuni and Absarica, we start to see the land animals, we start to see the coal, we start to see these big sand waves as the water got bigger and higher and higher and flooded across the continents. And then eventually we see the mammals kind of washed on top of the dinosaurs. And so we see major mammals. So it looks like the evolution occurred in the fossils if you look at just the fossils, but in reality it's just a record of the flood. There's no evolution whatsoever. Fossils just show up in segments based on the ecological niches that they lived in. So the Bible talks about the global flood the Bible is actually correct in explaining the way the fossils are ordered as well. But we move on to days 150 to day 371, the receding water of the flood. And God talks about in Genesis 8 how the waters assuaged and he brought a wind to pass over the earth and the waters returned from the earth continually. And we believe that happened as the continents were moving around, breaking up Pangaea. You had to make new ocean crust in the process. And that ocean crust started to cool. And as it cools... Colder crust, colder things generally sink, and the crust sank from below. And as that newly formed crust sank and sank and sank, you started pulling the water off the continents, like lowering the bottom of your bathtub. So if you pull the bottom of your bathtub down, the water's going to go down. So the basal Tejas sequence in the Tejas itself actually shows mostly waters being pushed offshore, off the edges of Africa, and just like we saw across North America. But we do still see quite a bit of sedimentary rock layers on the major continent of Africa as well. 
We see again, as I mentioned earlier, mostly marine fossils mixed with mammal fossils for the Tejas sequence. So we've kind of got to the ground now above the dinosaurs to where the land animals, the mammals, were living, probably a little higher elevation. And so we've looked at the global flood. We see the same things in North America at the same time, the same sandstone layers in the Sauk, the same sandstone layers on both continents, the same order of fossils on both continents. All of this is evidence of a global flood that the Bible tells us about. We also can look at the fossils themselves and see that the flood was catastrophic. We can look at the rock layers and see they were catastrophic. Plenty and plenty of evidence of sand waves and ripples. So the Bible is correct all along, saying that there was a global and a recent flood. And that flood was not tranquil. That was very, very catastrophic. Thank you for joining us on Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a radio ministry of the Institute for Creation Research. That's all the time we have for our program today, but we would love to connect with you through our website at icr.org. For over 45 years, ICR has equipped believers with evidence of the Bible's accuracy and authority by showing how science supports the Genesis creation account. Our scientists research the evidence for creation and communicate their findings through books, articles, DVD series, and conferences. Please visit our website at icr.org for more information about the latest scientific discoveries, to subscribe to our free magazine and devotional, and to locate our next creation conference at a venue near you. All of this and more at icr.org. If you've enjoyed this podcast, subscribe to Science, Scripture, and Salvation on iTunes. Also, do us a favor and rate and review the show so that more listeners can find us. Thanks for listening, and God bless.